Revelation chapter 13. For the benefit of those of you who may not have been in our services as we are studying the book of Revelation, I would simply remind you that what we are considering here are events that will occur and are prophesied to take place during the time period known as the tribulation. The tribulation period, according to the prophetic word of God, will be a period of some seven years that will transpire upon this earth immediately after the catching away of the bride of Christ, the church, the saved of this earth. After that event, then will begin the tribulation. Though it is a period of seven years and is known as the final week of Daniel's 70 weeks, we find that that period of seven years is divided into three and a half years division, three and a half in the first part, three and a half in the second, making a total of seven years. The Great Tribulation is often referred to as that last three and a half years when the judgment of God, the chaos of the earth, the dilemma of man upon this earth will grow exceedingly worse and worse and more confusing. And so we're looking now here in chapter 13 at events that are going to begin transpiring in the latter half of the seven-year period, that period of the last three and one-half years. We said last Sunday that in chapter 12 and 13, we have what I call a divine comedy, a divine comedy. And certainly, as I explained to you last Lord's Day, we do not mean by that that this is some kind of a funny story. But by the word comedy, we simply are implying the fact of a drama, a drama that is occurring, a literal event, a literal drama that is occurring or will occur upon this earth. A comedy is defined as a drama or other literary work that has a happy ending. And certainly the happy ending will come when our Lord returns to this earth. But right now in this period of Matthew 13, or chapter 12 and 13, we have a list of characters who will be the players in this divine drama at the, of the tribulation period. And I pointed those out to you last Lord's Day. I'll not take time other than just to name them. The dragon uh, is one of the main characters and a representation of Satan. A woman in chapter 12 verse 1 is representative of the nation of Israel. A kingly child is born to this woman, a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. A warrior is also seen in this divine comedy. And that warrior is identified as the angel Michael, one of the, the, the archangel Michael. And also a victim is found in this divine drama. And the victim is the Jewish remnant. That is, those of the Jews who have come to know Christ and believe Him to be their Savior in this period. The Jewish remnant will be the victim. And then we found last Sunday that six of the seven main characters, and that is the, the, the ruler, the world ruler, the world dictator known as the Antichrist, the beast, uh, the little horn, all many references given to him in the Scripture. 
the man of sin, the son of perdition, and so forth. And that is one of the main characters that will emerge on the scene on this planet earth on which you and I are living. And so in that time of tribulation. Now then today we come to that seventh character and he is known as a prophet. Literally the false prophet. And he works in conjunction with the one world dictator and ruler. Let's look, if you will, at verse 11 of chapter 13, and the verses read like this. Watch it carefully and follow me in your Bible. I hope you'll keep your Bible handy. Watch what he says. And I beheld another beast, that is a living creature, coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. Now this is John, as he's, his view from the beach, as we said, referring back to verse 1 the vision that God gives him of coming events. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he doth great wonders or signs or miracles so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their, their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark of the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred threescore and six. Chapter 13 uh, that we're considering now is very important because it introduces us to two main characters of the book of the Revelation. And those two characters being the beast who rises out of the sea in verse 1 of chapter 13, uh, the world dictator, the Antichrist. And then the second is the beast who comes up out of the earth which is, and we'll see the designation of the false prophet, the false prophet, who also, by the way, is the chief supporter of the political ruler, the Antichrist, or the world ruler. These two men will work hand in hand, like hand in glove. The false prophet will be the head of the one world religious system that is coming. And the other, the beast, the first, will be the one world political ruler. Now, if you are aware of current events and of recent history, you know that our world is headed in that direction of a one world government, a one world political organization, a one world religious system, as well as a one world economy. 
Everything is moving in that direction, and you can see it very clearly if you'll just keep your eyes open, listen to the newscast, watch the TV news, read your paper. It is very clear and very evident. The things that are happening here, however, is actually Satan's final and last attempt to get the worship of the world, men and women, to bow before him and worship him, to take worship away from the true God and the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now already the spirit of Antichrist works. That is to say the Antichrist himself is not on the throne. But John writes in his epistle of 1 John about this Antichrist, that is there are many Antichrists, the spirit of Antichrist already working, moving the world in this direction where it will finally culminate in a one world ruler and a one world religious ruler or leader. Today the devil seeks to draw worship away from our Lord God. He seeks to draw men away from the Lord Jesus. The system of Antichrist perhaps draws men away today by reason of pleasure that this world system offers. And there's many a vacant pew in many a church as well as ours today by reason of the fact that men have been drawn away from worship of God by reason of pleasure. There are others who are drawn away from God by reason of the search of possessions. They're seeking to gain a little bit more of this world and a little bit more of its goods, a little more possession, and thus they're drawn away from their worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the devil draws men, and the Antichrist system draws men away from worship by their pride. And pride, and by that word, I simply mean the opposite of a surrendered will. Pride is self-will, the exerting and the insistence upon my will, what I want to do regardless of what God says or not. If I want to lay up in the bed on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, who cares? Whether God says anything about it or not, whether my response is to God or not, who cares? In other words, the devil through self-will and pride draws men away from worship of God. Not only that, but the pursuit of the world, the pursuit of worldly things. How many today vacate themselves, they give up their worship of God for nothing more than the pursuit of some worldly possession or pleasure. Not only that, but he draws men away by perverted religion. Religion that is empty and vain. And all across this country there are those who have a form of godliness. They're religious, but they deny the power of the gospel, the power to transform lives, the power to direct lives, the power to energize lives, to be what God in heaven determines and has designed man to be. Perverted religion all over this country. The other night I talked to you on Wednesday, on a Wednesday night on uh, uh, the dark secrets of the New Age uh, movement or religion. And whether you realize it or not, folks, we're not, we're not excluded from that very thing in this country of ours. Atlanta itself has become one of the meccas for the New Age movement and religion. There are bookstores that dot Atlanta all around that city, uh, which, are, which is filled literally with New Age philosophy, New Age religion, New Age ritual, New Age philosophy and the like. And yet there, is, there are those who are claiming that Stone Mountain itself is one of the drawing cards to the New Age movement. It's somehow irradiating some kind of positive energy to these who are reaching out to uh, evil and demon spirits. 
masters of wisdom and uh, uh, a cohesion with the cosmos, they're calling it. Perverted religion, drawing men away today from the worship of our Lord Jesus Christ. But let me give you four or five things today concerning this false prophet. And he will be one of the mainstays and the force behind the one world ruler. You see, when men can get religion and politics involved, bud, they have got a strong cohesiveness, a strong driving power behind it. And there are those areas in our world today who would like to establish state churches. The church is operated by the government. One very renowned religion for centuries has advocated the state-owned and operated church. And I don't even have to mention the name of that church for you to know what I'm ta- who I'm talking about. But yet here we find the false prophet, one of the great advancers, the public relations man for the one world re- political dictator and ruler. There are seven things that I'll give you that I hope you'll think with me about. First of all, I want you to look at the debut of the false prophet, his debut. Not only that, but look secondly at his description. Look thirdly at his demonstrations. Look fourthly at his deception. Look fifthly at his directives. And look sixthly at his demands. And finally, notice his designation. Seven things I hope you'll try to remember. I may not have time to get to them all, but at least I hope you've gotten them down. If you hadn't seen me after the service, I'll be glad to give them to you. Before us then in this chapter, we have what is literally, listen to this, an unholy trinity. An unholy trinity made up of Satan, the beast, and the false prophet. You have in Satan's scheme of things always he is the he is the world's great imitator and he thus tries to imitate everything that God is and has and does and just as God is revealed as a divine trinity a holy trinity God the Father Son and the Holy Spirit So the devil comes along now and produces what we know as an unholy trinity. Satan sets himself up as the God to be worshipped, the Father. The beast comes and declares himself to be the Messiah, the Savior that corresponds to our Lord Jesus Christ. And then comes the false prophet who corresponds to the third person of the divine trinity, the Holy Spirit. In other words, the false prophet now comes and just as the Holy Spirit directs men to Jesus and glorifies Jesus, the Son of God, this false prophet corresponding to the Holy Spirit, he now directs attention and calls for worship of the beast, the Antichrist who sits on the throne of this world system. All right, so look, if you will, at these seven things. First of all, consider his debut. Look at verse number one, the first part of the verse, and it reads like this. And I beheld another beast. And the word another simply means another of the same kind. There are two words in the New Testament language of the Greek that that's translated another. One means another of the same kind. Another of a different kind is the second word. And here we find the word another means another of the same kind. 
the same kind as the first beast, who is a vicious beast. And I gave you two words that are rendered beast in the New Testament. One is rendered in Revelation chapter 4 and 5 as those holy creatures, seraphim, that worship God and cry, holy, holy, holy. They are full of living, full of life. It comes from the same word from which we get our word zoology. It refers to life simply. And then again, this word that is rendered beast in relation to the beast who rises out of the sea and the earth is a word that refers to a vicious, wild beast. It portrays the character of this individual. Now then, notice as he is, uh, his debut, and I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. Now literally this word earth could also be translated the land. The land, which simply in New Testament usage, the term the land in New Testament usage as well as Old Testament refers primarily to the land of Israel or if you please the land of Palestine. So undoubtedly the false prophet will rise out of the land of the Middle East, out of the land of Palestine. I believe personally that the false prophet will be a Jew. However, the Antichrist himself may or may not be Jewish. He may be partly Jewish. Where he rises out of the sea, and the sea in the Old Testament has always been a reference to the Gentile world. But whether that be so or not, the truth yet remains as to whether or not where he comes from, the truth is he comes. And the false prophet arises here out of the land, no doubt an apostate Jew. I, I, I can hardly conceive of the Jew following one who is not one of their own in a religious sense. But nonetheless, that's his debut. Notice verse, uh, the, verse, uh, uh, the second part of this verse. And you'll find his description. The description is this, that he had two horns like a lamb. Notice, like a lamb. And he spake as a dragon. Now notice that these horns upon the lamb have no crown. The crowns speak of acquired political power. But this one has no political power. But the horns simply represent religious power. This man will be the head of a one world religious system. And those of you who were here the other night when I talked about the New Age movement. One of their goals, indeed avowed goals, of their 13 points is a one world religion. We have, that's, that's nothing new. The World Council of Churches, the National Council of Churches, for days and decades have been insisting upon the uniting of all world religions under one umbrella. Now, my friend, listen again, as you hear me often say, that is not a coincidence. The things that are taking place under your nose and mine have been prophesied for centuries. And we're living in that exciting time when we're beginning to see these things shape up and take form. But the church, if you're saved, you're going to be out of here when these things take their final formation but you're seeing them begin to shape up and begin to take form even now. And the cry for the one world, one world religion, one world political system, one world economy is very, very evident. 
Here uh, the, he, the, he rises out of the, of the earth and he has two horns, uh, notice, like a lamb. Satan again is seen uh, as the great imitator. Isaiah chapter 14 expresses one of his own desires and the devil is there heard to say, I will be like the most high. You see, there's where so many people have gone astray. We have some picture of the devil as some kind of ghoulish character with horns coming out of his head and a long tail and dressed in a red suit with a pitchfork in his hand and breathing fire out of his mouth. Listen, you remember this. The devil is a imitator of God. Paul even said that he can transform himself into an angel of light. A very appealing thing. And so when you look at the devil, don't look for the ugliest creature you can imagine. He is very suave. He is very personable. He gives an additional promise, a promise of additional and superior light and intelligence. So here the devil is seen as a great imitator. Imitating whom? Imitating the Lord Jesus. Why? John chapter 1 verse 29 identifies Christ as what? The Lamb of God. And here he is seen rising as a lamb. As a lamb. Back in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6 when we saw him there in the heavens, we saw him as a lamb slain. As a lamb standing who, who, who had the appearance of having been slain. Well, here he comes. His face is that of a lamb. His appearance is described as that of a lamb. Gentle, harmless. Who could be frightened at a lamb? Who could have any fear of a little lamb? Gentle, appealing, soft. But yet watch the next statement in the description. And he spake as a dragon. Now the inference to dragon is not, un uh, not unknown to us. Back in, in this very same chapter, uh, we find in, uh, in chapter, well, chapter 12, you remember that the dragon was representative of Satan, the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the arch enemy of God. And here he now appears as a lamb, but he speaks as the devil himself. Could I say it like this? It is the tongue that tells the tale. It is the tongue that tells the tale. Once I saw, well, I won't mention that. Maybe, back, maybe I can just say it like this, and I'm afraid I'll spend too much time there. But your tongue will tell on you as sure as you live. If a man could ever keep his mouth closed and his tongue still, he wouldn't be caught in half as much trouble in life. But the tongue gets us in trouble. It reveals. It'll tell literally, generally, what section of the country you're from. I can hear a person talk, tell you whether they're Yankee, tell you whether they're from the coast of Carolina, tell you whether they're from Virginia, tell you whether or not they're from Habersham County. Uh, I'll guarantee you the tongue will tell on you if you'll just listen. And so the devil now comes this beautiful appealing appearance, but now what he is saying and the words that he speaks reveals himself. I think of Matthew 12, verse 37, and Jesus said it like this, For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. So it's what the devil is saying. It's not how he looks. Everything that glitters is not gold. Everything that looks good in a pot soul. So the devil now is revealed by what he says. If you go back, you'll learn especially three things about the dragon's speech 
You'll find that back in Genesis chapter 3 at verse 1, the first thing he talked about to Eve was, and notice there, he spoke through that serpent, and then he came to her, and he spoke with doubt of the word of God. Hath God said? You see, one of the ways you can always discover a false prophet and one of the devil's preachers or followers is he casts doubt on the word of God. Oh, it's not necessarily the Bible. It's a collection of good literature. It's the words of a wise man. But the word of God, oh, no. In other words, you can discern. A lot of fellows look nice, and they may wear the garb of a minister of the gospel, and they may, they may have a great congregation. But I want to tell you something. You better judge a fellow by the words that come out of his mouth. Not only that, but the devil in the Garden of Eden not only cast doubt on the Word of God, but he flatly denied the Word of God. He said to Eve, God, uh, Eve said, uh, the Lord said, if we touch this tree, we'll surely die. And the devil said, oh, not so, you shall not surely die. In other words, we have today many who are ministers of Satan who deny the very Word of God. They do not believe the Bible. They call themselves uh, 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 preachers of the gospel and teachers of the Bible, and yet they don't even believe the Bible they're supposed to be teaching or preaching. I want to say this morning I stand without apology upon the word of God that I hold in my hand as the inspired, preserved, anointed, infallible word of God. I have no apology for that. And I'm glad that this church believes that. And yet again, if you want to know the devil's speech, hear him when he denies the truths of the Bible. We have those who come along, the revised standard version of the Bible, they come out with a new one now. Deny the very facts of the virgin birth of Christ. Cast doubt upon the necessity of blood atonement. Scorn the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see in religion, the devil, don't forget this folks. The devil doesn't, you won't find him generally down at the nightclub and the honky-tonk the house of ill fame. The flesh has got that bunch wrapped up. But you know where you'll find him? In religious circles. In religious circles. He knows the power of religion. If you don't understand the power of religion, just think about Islam today. Think about what's going on in the Middle East under the name of religion. The, the war that they call for to run the heathen out and so forth. Oh, listen, religion has power. And yet again, the devil's religion will be a powerful thing. Not only the serpent heard to speak doubt and denial, but he spoke deception as well. I heard, just read this past week, the American Atheistic Society. Would you like to know what they're pushing for now? To have stamped on every Bible in every public library a warning label that says, this book may be dangerous to your health or your life. I'm going to tell you folks, whether we're aware of it or not, we live in a world that is dominated by an anti-Christian air and atmosphere. Those old-time Bible believers are in the minority. Those old-time Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches are in the minority. God never said you'd be in the majority anyhow. But I want you to understand that the devil is holding sway in multiplied millions upon millions of lives in this very hour. And yet here is this false prophet that comes. Well, that's his description. He comes appearing like a lamb with great authority, but yet he comes speaking like a dragon. Ah, but look at the third thing. Look at his demonstration. 
verse 12, the first part of the verse says, He exercises all the power or the authority of the first beast. Verse 2 reveals that the first beast is empowered by Satan. Verse 2 also reveals that the first beast, Antichrist, is enthroned by Satan. Not only is he empowered, but he is enthroned by Satan. You must realize that Satan is behind the whole thing. These are not just coincidental occurrences in the course of human history. There is a power behind the movement of history in our day and in this world system. And so here, he has the same exercise of the same power as the first beast. Look at verse 13. He doth great wonders or signs so that he maketh fire come down from heaven. Let me say this to you as a word of caution and warning. Do not, do not believe that every so-called miracle you hear about or see is proof of truth or of God. Now here the false prophet is empowered by Satan, but watch this. He performs miraculous things. There are signs, wonders, miracles. We got a lot of people, if somebody say, hey, this fellow came through town. He laid his hand on my wife's big toe and cured her of the ingrown toenail. He is, must be of God. He is a miracle worker. And I want to tell you now, don't judge whether or not a man is a man of God or a movement is of God on the basis of supposed miracles. Don't be, don't, don't be deceived by that. The devil, you see, himself can perform it. Remember way back in Moses' time when in Egypt? And he performed those mighty miracles, the rod that turned to a snake, the lice, the rivers that turned to blood, and yet the magicians, watch, the magicians of Pharaoh did the same thing that Moses did. So don't judge whether or not men are of God because of miracles. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 21, 2 and 3, that in that day many will stand before him in judgment and say, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not, listen to this, cast out devils all in your name? And Jesus said, I'll say to them, I don't even know you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. In other words, these will stand before God as apparent miracle workers. But Jesus said, they're none of mine. And by supposed miracle, judge what you judge on the basis, not of appearance, not of what you see, not of what you hear, but upon the basis of the word of God. And ladies and gentlemen, if you've ever gotten acquainted with the Bible in your life, if you haven't, you need to start getting acquainted with this book. It's the only thing that will keep you out of error and keep you from being deceived, the word of God. Things will lie to you, but God's word never lies. Now notice what he does. He calls fire down out of heaven. You know, from, from history, from way back in the Old Testament, fire from heaven has been one of the ways God revealed himself to his people. That's the way he did it. Look way back in Genesis 19, verse 24. God sent fire down upon Sodom and Gomorrah and destroyed the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. From God, 
In Leviticus chapter 10, verse one and two, there were the two evil sons, Nadab and Abihu, who were destroyed by fire from God. In also 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 38, verse 38, Elijah was on Mount Carmel and God answered by what? Fire. Fire came down and consumed it. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 3, 4, 5, and 6, the two witnesses who were in Jerusalem who will be destroyed, who will be killed, but who will be resurrected and ascend into heaven. We read about them, studied about them, but their weapon of defense was fire that proceeded from their mouth and defied the those who would dare hurt them. When the Lord appeared to Moses on the backside of the desert, you remember how he appeared? In a bush of flame with fire. The whole thing is what we have now is the devil trying to imitate the very miracle of God so as, get it, so as to deceive the peoples of the earth. And listen, we are set up in this world, an age of ours, for that kind of deception. Anything that has a supernatural tint to it, men automatically say, boy, that's of God. That's of God, and we're going to follow them. Men are waiting and watching and longing for that. The devil knows how to provide it. Verse 14, also notice the demonstration of his power. He gave life unto the image of the beast that the image should speak. How that will take place, I don't know. I only say, I can only tell you that this is some of the manifestation of power, whether Satan will ingrain himself in the image and speak, I do not know. Whether it be as some have suggested by electronic devices, I do not know. I only can tell you that this was one of the means of deception Satan will use to deceive the peoples of the earth. Now then, that demonstration that we've seen, and I'm gonna take only only about three more minutes. I'm going to have time to finish this. But I want you to listen up real carefully. Give me undivided attention. As the result of the demonstration that leads me to the fourth point about the false prophet. And that's in verse 14a. And the Bible says, And he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by means of those miracles which he had power to do. In other words, let me say it like this briefly and quickly. Man will then be deceived because of his unwillingness to believe and receive the truth that is in Jesus Christ and in the gospel. He will be prepared as a a result of his refusing the truth of God. He will be prepared to receive the lie that Satan will present him. I ask you to turn to one passage and I've got to close. In 2 Thessalonians, look in chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 where Paul speaks of this very matter. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. And he writes to the Thessalonians, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus and by our gathering together unto him that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that the day of Christ is at hand. Someone who written the Thessalonians been telling them the day of Christ is at hand. It's already here. Paul said don't be deceived. Verse three, let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come. The day of God's wrath during the tribulation. That day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. He's talking about the revealing of the Antichrist. Who opposeth 
and exalted himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Here the Antichrist comes into the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Jews long to erect another temple, and he shall give them this political ruler will promise security to Israel, promise they can rebuild the temple, restore their old ritual of worship and sacrifice, and promise them safety from the Arab enemies about them. But at the middle of his covenant, he will break it and then enter in, showing himself to God. The false prophet has been giving all of this uh, propaganda to the world, and he will sit himself up as God and, and demand to be worshipped. Verse 5. Remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things. And now you know what withholdeth, what prevents this, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Paul said it's in the makings already. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. That is the church indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The church, the revealing of the Antichrist and the setting up of this thing. But I want to tell you something. Sooner or later, sooner, probably sooner than later, and the whole, whole terrible trauma of events that are prophesied to occur will begin to take place on this earth. And then look at verse 8. When, when he that led it is taken out of the way, the church, the Holy Spirit who indwells, then... Then shall that wicked be revealed, talking about the Antichrist, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. He will destroy the Antichrist, kingdom of the Antichrist, but at the end of a seven-year period, when he comes the second time, places his feet upon the earth. Even him, verse 9, whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power, signs, living wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, watch, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, because they've rejected the truth, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now I want to tell you the danger of you, my friend, rejecting Jesus Christ. You're setting yourself up to believe a lie. Not only a lie, but the lie. You are a prime target of Satan and his world system and religious system. The only safeguard is to come to the rock that is higher than you are, the Lord Jesus. Trusting him as your savior. Letting him wash you and cleanse you of your sin and forgive you of your sin and make you one of his own. That is the only security any man or woman will ever have. That's security that is in Jesus Christ. I offer you today not an antichrist, but I offer you the Christ. I ask you personally and pointedly, have you ever received him in your heart personally? If not, my friend, you're setting yourself up to believe the lie. The lie of Satan who desires men to worship him rather than God. If you haven't trusted Christ, do it right now. Let's bow our heads for prayer. While our heads are bowed, we pray together.
I would that I had the time to finish completely this 13th chapter, but I know time is a factor for us on this earth. You mentioned time, let me tell you this, it's passing away from you. It's getting away from you quicker than you'd ever realize. Death is nearing every one of us, and if not death, the coming of Christ. I wonder how many people in this audience, down deep in your heart, you realize you've never been saved. You've never really invited Jesus Christ in your heart, but you know you need to do that. I'm going to ask you to do that this morning. I think, don't you, you put it off long enough. You've known for a long time what you needed to do in your life. Today is God's day of salvation for you. Some of you who are saved men and women, you've let sin creep into your life. You're becoming a supporter of a system that is designed for destruction and is opposed to God by your sin. You need to ask God's forgiveness. Some of you need to pledge your life in service to God. Some of you need to come into the fellowship of this church. You need to be in a church that believes and stands for the old time truth of the word of God. Today, I want to give you that opportunity to come to trust Christ as Savior, to get right with God as his child, to unite with this church. And I'm going to ask you right now, don't waste any time, folks. Don't waste another minute of your life. God helping you to know what you need to do, do it now. Let your life count for Christ. Let your life count in a Bible-believing church. While we stand together, I pray that God will give you the grace to come and make that decision. Let's all stand with our heads bowed.